Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Abstract. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great, Derek. I'm looking forward to our lab is going to a conference in Florence, Italy, which is going to be amazing because it's going to just be pizza and gelato and a little bit of science. I hear that you were just in Europe for another conference, right? I was just in Barcelona in Spain, and that was incredible. It was just fun, you know, getting to meet other trainees, getting to meet like really well-known established PIs in the field. Everyone was really, really nice. And of course, Barcelona is like incredible. I went to a lot of beaches. I spent a lot of time at the beach. How much tapas, sangria, and paella did you have? Um, enough to feed a small village, I would say. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Almost as good as our article today by a very special author. So today we're talking about an article entitled VE Cadherin Enables Trophoblast Endovascular Invasion and Spiral Artery Remodeling During Placental Development. And it was published a couple months ago in the journal eLife by the Kahn Laboratory at the University of Pennsylvania by a first author our listeners may have heard of. Who's that, Derek? It's me! So I'm really excited about this paper today because it is part of my graduate thesis work that I've been working on over the past three years on one of my favorite topics ever, the placenta. So Derek, what is the placenta and why is it so important? So the placenta is a temporary organ that forms during pregnancy. I think people often forget about it because... After birth, it's literally discarded into the biohazard, which is why some people call it the afterbirth. But it plays a very, very important role in regulating exchange of oxygen and nutrients and waste between mom and the fetus. It's the fetus's only method of getting nutrients and getting rid of waste and metabolic byproducts. So you can imagine that defects in the placenta can be very harmful or even devastating for the developing baby. Defects in the placenta have been linked to things like congenital heart defects, neurodevelopmental disorders, and even metabolic diseases after the baby is born. That's fascinating. And I think, I think you're absolutely right that it's an underappreciated organ in development. We had a previous episode about the link between neurodevelopmental disorders and the placenta. So in your case, how did you get interested in studying the placenta? It was during my clinical rotation on the labor and delivery floor. Watching a live birth is one of those unforgettable experiences. For most people, it's the most important and happiest day of their lives. And for other people, it can honestly be the worst. And I think we're really privileged as medical students to experience it as part of our training. The majority of pregnancies and births go smoothly, but as doctors in training, we have to learn about what can go wrong during a pregnancy as well. And one example of this is preeclampsia. I remember my time on the OB service as well, and I just had so much respect for the OBGYN providers. Their jobs can be so stressful, and they were so good at transitioning between uh, easy deliveries and then rushing into the operating room to do an emergency c-section it's a really remarkable skill set but it's still been a while since i've been on lnd can you remind me what preeclampsia is so preeclampsia is a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy meaning you have high blood pressure while you're pregnant 
it's estimated to affect around 5 to 7% of pregnancies globally, meaning that preeclampsia affects up to 1 in 14 pregnancies worldwide. It can cause maternal organ damage, fetal growth restriction, preterm birth, and even maternal and fetal death. And despite its significant impact on maternal and fetal health, there's actually no cure for preeclampsia except to deliver the baby and the placenta. Do we know what causes preeclampsia? Unfortunately, we don't. Preeclampsia is a pretty mysterious disease that no one has quite figured out. The general consensus is that it's caused by placental dysfunction because the high blood pressure usually goes away after the placenta is delivered. But what exactly goes wrong within the placenta is still unclear. And within the placenta, do we have any guesses about where the dysfunction is occurring? We do, and the thought is that it's related to these specialized fetal cells called trophoblasts. So early during placental development, these trophoblasts must connect and replace maternal blood vessels known as spiral arteries in order to funnel maternal blood into the placenta for nutrient exchange. This process of trophoblasts migrating and connecting to maternal blood vessels is known as endovascular invasion, but how exactly trophoblasts manage to accomplish these things is still a big mystery. What we do know is that trophoblasts carry out many of the same functions as endothelial cells in that they form vessels and carry blood. Right, it's coming back to me now. So preeclampsia is a disorder thought to... um occur due to placental dysfunction where the mother gets dangerously high blood pressure. And we think that what might be causing it is dysfunction in a cell type called trophoblasts. But just to be clear, so in the placenta, maternal blood is flowing through vessels made from fetal cells. Exactly. And in my very biased opinion, this is why the placenta is one of the coolest organs to exist. It literally has mom's blood flowing through channels made from the fetus. It's literally mother nature's like ultimate collaboration. Trophoblasts even express many of the conventional molecules of endothelial cells, such as vascular endothelial cadherin, or VE cadherin for short, which is an endothelial cell cell adhesion protein, meaning it helps endothelial cells stick together. This adaptation of endothelial traits has dubbed trophoblasts as undergoing quote-unquote vascular mimicry, and some scientists have hypothesized that losing these endothelial-related traits may prevent trophoblasts from effectively connecting to maternal blood vessels. So we wanted to test this directly. Okay, so we're trying to relate trophoblasts to endothelial cells and see if they are losing any particular genes that could be causing the preeclampsia dysfunction. So if I had to guess, what you did next, knowing you, is turn to your favorite scientific tool, which would be a carefully constructed mouse model, right? You know me well, Dan. Obviously, that's what we did. We wanted to see what the role of V-cadherin and trophoblasts was during placental development. So we designed a mouse where we deleted V-cadherin only from trophoblasts and then looked at its effect on development of the placenta and embryo. Okay, that makes sense. So a specific gene deletion in the trophoblast to then look at the function of that gene that you got rid of. So what did you observe in this mouse model where you've taken out V-cadherin, this potentially important gene? out of the trophoblasts. 
We looked at the placentas and embryos while they were still developing, and we noticed a few things. First, the placentas were very, very pale because they had a lot less blood, and they were also smaller. Second, the embryos were also smaller. We call this fetal growth restriction, and it's a term we use for human fetuses that are smaller than they're supposed to be and can be one of the consequences of preeclampsia. When you deleted this gene, you saw that it looked like there was uh, fetal growth restriction with the embryos being smaller. So clearly this gene was important. Do we know why exactly the growth was restricted when that gene was deleted? The growing fetus requires a lot of energy and nutrients. When a fetus is growth-restricted, one of the potential causes is that it's not receiving enough blood from mom to support its growth. Remember, we've only messed with trophoblasts and we saw that the placentas were very pale. And when we analyzed the placentas closely, it appeared that trophoblasts in our mouse model weren't able to effectively connect to maternal blood vessels. So as a result, maternal blood wasn't able to efficiently enter the placenta, meaning there's less nutrients for the embryo. What information did you have to suggest that this might be what's happening in preeclampsia? We don't know that this is exactly what happens in preeclampsia, but one of the ways we evaluate preeclampsia in humans is by using ultrasound to analyze blood flow through the placenta. If we see there's increased resistance in the vessels going through the placenta, this is an indicator of preeclampsia. So this is exactly what we decided to do in these mice as well. We took an ultrasound probe and looked at the vessels of the placenta, and lo and behold, we saw exactly the same thing as we do in humans. Increased resistance in the vessels, indicating that what we were seeing was likely a pathology similar to preeclampsia. That's super cool. So you saw both the effect on the growth restriction of the embryo, and also a potential kind of macro-level mechanism of disturbance of blood flow through the placenta, which is just the same mechanism that is used clinically to evaluate preeclampsia in people. Now the million-dollar question, how do you think this work, either today or in the future, could help patients with preeclampsia? Great question. This is just one piece of the puzzle. With this model, we can hopefully understand more about what causes preeclampsia and even begin to design drugs to treat it. Some studies have already identified ways to increase VEC adherin in trophoblasts, although it's kind of unclear if this would actually work in treating preeclampsia in an actual human. Preeclampsia is such a complex disease and it varies a lot from person to person, but at least now we have a mouse model to study it. And speaking of variability, maybe we should do a genome sequencing study. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? I think that sounds like a great idea. It sounds like you think that decreased expression of the cadherin leads to preeclampsia or is contributing. So we should be able to test that using naturally occurring variation in humans. I like that idea. One thing that we uh, talk about a lot in the pod is the scientific process. And I'm curious, Derek, you know, the way we talked about this work today, it was perfectly linear. One thing led to the next and there were no issues or failed experiments. Can you tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes scientific process for this paper? What helped to inspire it and any hiccups or things you learned along the way that were unexpected or even failed? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. We thought going into this that we wouldn't see such an extreme effect of V-cadherin. You know, V-cadherin is really just one of many, many endothelial proteins that are expressed by trophoblasts. And we thought, you know, at best, maybe we'll see a mild effect. So it was really quite surprising to us to see that V-cadherin is really essential in trophoblasts just for the embryo to survive. So that was kind of a shocker, and it was really hard to figure out what the exact cause was, and particularly being able to image that exact connection point between trophoblasts and maternal blood vessels is very, very difficult. And we had to go through a lot of placentas in order to get um, a few good images of that. You mentioned the cadherin being one gene. Of course, there are 20,000 genes in the genome fewer than those relevant for trophoblasts and endothelial cells. Do you think it's possible that there are other genes or pathways that are important in the development of preeclampsia relating to trophoblasts? Or do you think that V-cadherin is the whole story or a really big player? Absolutely. That's a great question. So... As I said before, preeclampsia is a really, really broad disease and encompasses a lot of variability from person to person. So I would be shocked if V-cadherin is the only gene involved in preeclampsia. What I think is that maybe there are other endothelial proteins that are also important for trophoblast function and that losing those might be you know, part of the whole story of what causes preeclampsia. And that V-cadherin is really just one small portion and accounts for maybe a small percentage of the cases. Well, the upside of that complexity is it sounds like you'll be employed beyond this paper. There's more work to do. That's the hope. <laughs> so to finish up, maybe a question that's a little bit less based in science. I've heard that eating the placenta is the key to youth and immortality. Can you confirm or deny that, Derek? I know you, Dan, especially given that you just turned 30, are really looking for, you know, ways to become young again. And there's been a lot of hype in pop culture and the media surrounding consuming the placenta or using it in one way or another. Some people eat it, some people encapsulate it in pills and take it as supplements. It's actually not recommended to do any of these things because there's a chance that the placenta is infected with harmful bacteria that could be harmful to you when you ingest it. Some people bury the placenta for spiritual purposes, and even then, it's recommended that you dig a hole deep enough where an animal can't dig it up because, you know, they will do that. And in general, there's really not much evidence at all that doing something with the placenta is beneficial. So sorry to your gray hairs and wrinkles, Dan. That's not the news that I was hoping to hear today, Derek. I guess I'll have to look elsewhere for the fountain of youth. <laughs> Well, if it's any consolation, I think the gray hairs and wrinkles look good on you. All right. Well, in um, all seriousness, this was a fantastic paper. Congratulations on the work and getting it published before going back to medical school. It's great to have it in the bank uh, before going off to return to the bottom of the totem pole. Thanks, Dan. We're going to have to do one of your papers next. Deal. All right. Until next time. See ya.